Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. Weeks, we're going to be focused on this one series together called Centered Church. And if you want to follow along with us in this series, we are going to be anchored in the book of Galatians, which is a small book in the New Testament. Now, we're not necessarily going to go verse by verse through Galatians every week of this series, but that's where we're going to be anchored. That's where we're going to be staying. So if you want to follow along over the next four weeks, you can read through Galatians as well and get connected to everything that we're talking about through reading that book. And I'm just, I'm actually really excited for this series. Um, I plan out my sermon series typically a year ahead of time, but I always tell people that you have to leave a little bit of space for the Holy Spirit to change things if necessary. And when I planned out our sermon series back in January, this series was not on my calendar. It was not on, it was not on what we were doing. And then I started reading this book called Centered Set Church by Dr. Mark Baker, which is where I got some of these ideas and some of the material for this series. Not all of it, but conceptually is where some of the ideas started to come from. And and I, I really felt like God was leading us in a different direction for this month. And I started sharing it with our lead team. And I said, let's just scrap what we were going to do. Let's do this series instead. Because I really believe that this is going to be an a important series for our churches. We have been meeting for a church as a church for almost two years now. Next week is two years. And so we're like a little toddler church. We're, we're moving. Yeah, amen. We're like... We're moving around, we're growing a little bit. It's really cool to see all that God has been doing. And it's very easy in a startup church to get caught up in the mentality of reach more people, reach more people, reach more people. We got to reach more people. And we do. We want to reach more people. As long as there are people out there who don't know Jesus or haven't experienced new life in him, we are going to stay focused on reaching more people. But in doing that, we don't want to not focus on what God is doing in our lives as well. It could be very easy to start coming to New Story Church and get caught up and reach more people and forget, oh wait, we also have to be disciples of Christ. What does it mean for us to grow as we are connected and attending and a part of the body of Christ as we are a part of a church? And so this is what this series is going to be focused on. What does it mean to grow as a disciple of Christ? What does it mean to become more like Jesus? And our core verse for this series is in Galatians 4.19, where Paul writes this to the church at Galatia. He says, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. My desire is that Christ would be formed in you, that Christ would be formed in me, that Christ would be formed in us as a church, that we would become people who are following Jesus and in that becoming more and more like Jesus, that he will be formed within us, which means that brings about change, that brings about new life, and we will become more and more like Christ. And so just so you know, for this series, weeks one and two are going to be a little bit more conceptual. Weeks three and four are going to be more practical, a little bit more hands-on. And if you're here and you're in a story group, I would really ask that you'd maybe let some of the conversations in this series to drive your story group a little bit. Or if you're in a group of believers, maybe you're at a college group or something, use some of this to start talking about what does it mean to have Christ formed in us. And so each week we're going to continue to unpack this more and more. Sometimes as a pastor, when you do a series, you come out week one and you like drop the mic. And then the following weeks, you're just kind of explaining the mic drop a little bit. This one's a little different. We're like building up and we're going to continue to unpack what it means for us to be a church that is centered on Christ, becoming disciples of Christ and moving in the direction of Christ and becoming more like Christ. So the title of today's message is this, it's all Jesus. If you're taking notes, which we encourage, write that down. It's all Jesus. And that sounds really nice, right? 
It sounds really good to say, it's all Jesus. It's all about Jesus. For those of you who grew up in church like me, you may have heard this statement before. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's the gospel. Anybody ever hear that before? It's Jesus plus nothing. And then some people get really spiritual to say, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Mm, Amen, hallelujah, praise be to he. That's some good stuff right there. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It feels so good. It feels freeing. It feels liberating. But then sometimes after a while, you start getting closer to that group that says Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And you start to feel like, I don't know if this is all Jesus plus nothing. Because it feels like there's a lot of guilt and shame involved here. It feels like there are some boundaries that have been drawn. And if you don't fit right in with whatever this group says, then you might be kicked out. You might lose your status. If you're not willing to think, act, and do like everybody else in the group... And it starts with, is this really Jesus plus nothing? And you know, it starts off with little things, little things that are actually kind of good things. Little things like, you know, if you, and it, it starts with this statement, if you really love Jesus, and it's almost like this guilt, if you really love Jesus, then, you, then, then you'll stop swearing. I mean, that's a good thing. Yeah, we got to clean up our potty mouths. Ephesians 4.29 talks about, you know, not saying bad things. So, so that's a good thing. It starts off with something little like that. If you, if you, then you'll stop swearing. You know, if you really love Jesus, if you really love him, then you'll stop drinking. Okay, that could be a good thing because you know some people have some issues with that. So, so that, could, that could be a good a step in the right direction. But then it, start, it keeps piling on. It keeps adding and adding. You know, if, if you really love Jesus, if you're one of the people who actually loves him, if you really love him, then you will read your Bible and pray every day. Okay, well, that can be a good thing, but do we want that motivated out of shame? Like you will read your Bible because if you don't read your Bible, he might be upset with you. He might, he, might, he might be angry with you if you don't spend time with him because, you know, if you have a good friend, you talk to your friend every day. If Jesus is your friend, then why would you not talk to Jesus every day? Do you really want to do that to Jesus? And it starts to feel like, oh man, there's some guilt and shame associated with this. And then you take it another step and it's like, well, if you really love Jesus, then you will vote for this certain party because that's what all Christians do. And we all, we all align with these political politics over here and that's what Christians do. And so we're, we're going to do that. And he's getting these things added on and added on. It's like, wait, I didn't realize that, you know, this was about this as well. And it's like everyone in the group starts to look the same and act the same and think, and, but it also feels, and you're like, I thought following Jesus was supposed to be full of grace grace and mercy, but now it feels like I'm actually carrying more than when I first came in here. It feels like this is almost bearing me down in some ways. It feels like I'm actually a little bit more exhausted in following Jesus. I I was talking to a friend this past week who used to be very connected to church, is not connected to a church at all, and he said, one of the things that I, I don't miss about it is I felt like when I was in church, I could never be myself. He said, I felt like I couldn't be honest with my struggles. Because if I was honest with my struggles, I would have been kicked out of the group because we didn't all look the same and sound the same. He said it was always about maintaining this outside look that everything looks right and we all just do this together because this is what our group looks like. I I remember when I was in this more bounded model of trying to carry this and figure this out, I I, I remember I used to think that if I didn't carry my Bible to school every day, then God was going to be very upset with me. If I didn't do that every single day, and I, I wouldn't act like Jesus at all. I was, I was like this inappropriate kid who was always getting in trouble and sent to the principal's office, but I went there with my Bible, so I was a good Christian. 
you know, I, I, you know, and so, you know, I had, and, and it was all this about this behavior modification. Then one day I realized, wait, Jesus didn't carry a Bible everywhere he went. I don't know if Paul did either, but, but it, so, so it, I, you know, and I was, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to do. And not only was I in some bounded groups, I sometimes perpetuated it. I would push that on other people because that's what I thought the gospel was. Do this and don't do that. Do this and don't do that. Do this. And it's like, oh man. And then what happens is sometimes we break out of that more bounded group and we get away from it. And then things get, you know, we start getting a little edgy with our faith. You know, oh, I'm a Christian who drinks a beer sometimes. Aren't I cool? I like, okay, good for you. But anyways, like, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more free now. I can do what I want. And it's like, okay, good, good for you. But you start to feel like a little bit more free and a little bit more loosey-goosey with your faith. And, and so you, you, then you find this other group and it's more of a fuzzy feeling group. And at first, this fuzzy group feels really good because I had enough of the bounded group. It felt like they were just throwing things on me and everything was motivated by shame and guilt. And the picture of God that was given was not one of love, but one who was always upset. And so I'm glad to get away from that bounded group. And then you end up in this fuzzy group and it feels really encouraging at first to be in the fuzzy group. Everyone's just, hey, we just all love Jesus. Every one of us, we just love Jesus here. Everyone can be here because it's all about grace and we all love Jesus. But for those of us who've been in fuzzy groups before, and we're going to break more fuzzy groups down in two weeks from now, after a while when you're in a fuzzy group, you start to know, you start to say, are we really going anywhere? (laughs) Are we really doing anything here? Yeah, it feels really good to all be in a circle and say, we love Jesus. But all of our lives look the exact same as they did three years ago. Does this really feel good? And as someone who has been in fuzzy groups and as someone who has contributed to fuzzy groups, one consistent pattern that I've noticed in these fuzzy groups is sometimes when we get to a group that is fuzzy where we don't really know what we're doing or where we are going, but oh, it's all about grace. It's all about grace. It's grace. It's all about grace. What I began to notice is sometimes the common denominator of what brings a fuzzy group together is encouragement, but also complaining and misery. And fuzzy groups, they get together and they complain about that bounded group they used to be a part of. Oh, they were this, they were that. Oh yeah, we were a part of that group forever, just like them, but we're so much smarter than them now. And it's like, we we get together and we complain and we have our misery together and it feels good to connect in misery because at first you're thinking, oh my gosh, you saw that too? I saw that as well. You saw that was going on there? I thought I was the only one. You saw it too? Yes, we all saw it. So we see it. Yes. I thought I was the only one. You see it. Yes. It feels good. But then, but then after a while, this has happened to me in these fuzzy groups and, and, and you're connected in misery and complaining. And after six months or a year, you start to realize, when I get together with these people, I actually don't feel so good about myself anymore because we sit around complaining the entire time. We just sit around in misery. We sit around talking. It's actually kind of like the bounded group where we were talking about how we were right all the time and everybody else was wrong. You go to the other end and to the other extreme. And what I want to propose in this series is that there's a third option. We don't have to get bogged down in the bounded group. We don't have to just be in this loosey-goosey, fuzzy group where we're wondering what is going on here? What is destructive? What does bring life? There's a third option, and the third option is to be centered on Christ, move in the direction of the cross, and allow Christ to be formed within us. 
But before we get to Galatians, I want to bring up one objection that is, if you're here and you're still kind of in that bounded group, or you're watching and you're still kind of in that bounded group, and you're like, oh, I'm clinging to this right now. You know, Scott, 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 here's the deal. You know, you got to stand for truth though, Scott. You got to stand for truth, you know? And so, and so I know I don't want to be fuzzy, you know, and I don't want to be bounded, but, but we got to stand for truth. We got to draw the line somewhere, Scott. And then if you're here in the, and you're really in the fuzzy group right now, you're thinking, oh, you know, if you start talking about correction and direction, then you better not forget God's grace, Scott. You better not forget that. Well, we believe here that Jesus is the Lord and Savior over all of creation, that he's the resurrected king. And then within that, he's also the fullness of reality. And he is who we are to model our lives after. And John said this in John chapter one, verse 14, he said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth. If Jesus is the fullness of reality, the King of Kings, who we are supposed to model our lives after and give our lives to, he wasn't just truth and he wasn't just grace. He was full of grace and truth. So for those who are like, well, you can't forget truth. And for those who are like, well, you got to remember grace. I would go as far as to say this. In the kingdom aspect, in the spiritual aspect, in the aspect of growing more like Christ, truth without grace is not truth. It's controlling. It's manipulative. It's domineering. Truth without grace is not truth. It's controlling. It's manipulative. It's domineering. But on the fuzzy end, grace without truth is not grace. It's enabling. And at worst, it's coddling. And it's being able to just sit in misery and just, oh, so you have to have grace and truth. That's why Paul writes that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. In the kingdom economy, in the spirituality of following Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit, you can't, oh, we got to have one more than the other. No, it's grace and truth. And we won't always get it right, but that should be what we aspire to. That's the goal. So on to Galatians here. As we're talking about Christ being formed with us and moving in the direction of Jesus, the first thing I want us to see this morning, if you're taking notes, is that Christ has completely rescued his church. Christ has completely and fully, in the power of his death and resurrection, rescued his church. Uh, this, this idea of rescue, Paul actually uses this quite often in his letters. He uses the word rescue. And I even think that there are times when he uses the word salvation that he's considering God's rescue mission. Humanity, the, those who are in the church, who have given their lives to Christ, who are following him, you have been completely rescued by Christ. Christ has completely and fully rescued his church in his death and resurrection. He was on a divine rescue mission to rescue humanity. And as we follow him, we are rescued in him. Let me give you a modern day picture of this. About four years ago, a movie came out and I'm going to spoil the ending of this movie for you. So if you've never seen the movie, A Quiet Place, you should close your ears right now if you really want to watch it one day and it's taken you four years to get to it. But anyways, <laughs> so, and don't give me, The Quiet Place is kind of like a horror thriller movie. I don't really watch horror movies at all, but it was close enough to thriller that I still said I'm going to watch it. And it had John Krasinski, so I had to watch it because John Krasinski's awesome. But I don't really like horror movies. The first time I ever saw a horror movie, I was in middle school in like seventh grade. We were at this friend's house and they were watching these sick movies. So I was like, guys, I am not watching this. I'm leaving the room. It's like Hills Have Eyes and Sidious. It's like, this is disgusting. I am not watching. Somebody just said, oh, yeah, because it's gross. <laughs> it was gross. 
I hope to never see anything like that ever again. <laughs> and so, and, and so what? And so in the quiet place, it's kind of like this weird world where these beasts have come. I can't remember if they talk about the origins of the beasts or not, but they've destroyed most of humanity. And the, what triggers these beasts is noise and sound. And when they hear sound, they, they, they will attack living beings. Well, John Krasinski has his family. They've been very quiet. His family knows sign language because his oldest daughter is deaf. So they're able to sign with one another and they're able to communicate and survive. And it's this beautiful story of them staying away from these beasts and them trying to stay quiet so that the beasts don't attack them and kill them. Well, here Here's where I'm about to spoil it. At the end of the movie, the end of the movie, it, one of the beasts is on top of his truck, his, this truck, his kids are in the truck, and his daughter and John Krasinski, they've been having a little bit of a difficulty throughout the movie with their relationship. And anyways, the father can see his kids in the truck, and he knows that sound is what attracts the beast. Sound is what puts you in danger, but he also knows that the beast is right on this truck that his kids are in, and so he's like, I have to do something. And so the beast, which represents darkness and evil and death and destruction, John Krasinski's character looks at his kids, looks at his daughter who he'd been having trouble with, and in sign language says to her, I love you. I have always loved you. Then he screams as loud as he can, and the beast runs away from the truck towards him and kills him. He sacrifices his life to rescue and completely and fully rescue his children from this beast. What does he do? He screams in the face of darkness, laying down his life so that his kids may be rescued. And this is what the cross of Christ has done for us spiritually and eternally. That what Christ has done, even in this age, is that in the cross, when Jesus laid down his life, he was screaming out in the face of evil. He was screaming out in the face of darkness, looking at his beloved children, just as the father looked at his daughter in the quiet place. And Jesus was looking at you and me and saying, I love you. I have always loved you. So he sacrificed his life so that we could be rescued from the powers of darkness and so that we could have new life. And the work of Christ on the cross is not insufficient, but it has in fact completely rescued us. Amen? Those who are in his church have been completely rescued. And Paul starts off his letter breaking this down in Galatians 1, 1 through 5. He actually starts defending his apostleship, but then he uses this language of rescue. Look at this in Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Father in the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us. Christ gave himself for our sins so that we may be rescued from what? The present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. We have been rescued. Those who are in the church, if you profess Jesus as Lord, you are a part of his church, and he has rescued us in his death and resurrection. And Paul says from this present evil age. Now, as you unpack the book of Galatians, what you find is that Paul's addressing kind of two different groups here. He's addressing groups of people who got so wrapped up in the pagan practices of their time. Rome would subscribe divinity to, to Caesar and to whoever their ruler was, and, and they would be wrapped up in these wicked practices of evil and destruction and sexual immorality and all these different things. And he says, in Christ, you have been rescued. But then Paul's also addressing another group as we continue to unpack this, this letter here. We will find that there was a group of people who were doing what the bounded people do. And they were saying, if you really love Jesus, 
then you will still follow the Jewish practice. You will get circumcised if you really love him. If you really want to, if you want to be a true follower of Christ, you'll do that. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We have been rescued from that. We have been completely rescued in the work of Christ. There's nothing we can do to add to it. And we don't have to turn back to destructive behaviors to try to do some more with it. No, in Christ, we have been fully and completely rescued. You have been rescued. I have been rescued. We have been rescued in Christ fully rescued. There's nothing about his work that is insufficient. People who try to add to the gospel will say, oh, you know, if, if, you, if you really love Jesus, you know, and, and, and you do this, then you'll be, you know, you'll feel even better. You, you'll be more. No, his, his work on the cross is full and it's complete. And some people will say, and maybe you get in the more fuzzy group, well, you know, I, I love Jesus and everything, but I still got to use this and that to cope and to figure things out. No, it's in Christ that you have been fully rescued. We have been rescued from the evils of this world, the evils that lead to arrogance and pride and lust and deceit and greed and gossip. We have been rescued from that, but we've also been rescued from the religious burden of having to try to earn our salvation or to earn being rescued. The work of Christ has fully rescued us as his church. He screamed in the face of evil on the cross and he gave his life so that we would not have to experience death. And that sets us free. That's why Jesus says this in John 8, that Jesus was saying to those who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. When we continue in the way of Jesus, when we simply follow him, become his disciples, a disciple is a student. When you become a student of the way of Jesus, move beyond just making decisions, but becoming a disciple of Christ, giving your life to him, what you will find is that there is freedom in the true way of Jesus that he has given us. There is freedom in that. We sometimes, because of bounded mindsets, think that truth is just constricting. Truth is that, is what tells us what not to do. Yes, there are constrictions at times come with the true way of following Jesus as we let go of the old and we embrace the new. But truth is not just constricting. Truth is also liberating. Truth brings freedom to serve in a way, to love in a way, to care for a way, to see things in a way that you've never seen them before. Truth is not just constricting. It's also liberating. Jesus says the truth will set you free. We, we, get, we start to get confused. Oh, I have to do this, I have to do that, or I have to do this, or I have to do that, to stay in this group or that group. But the way of Jesus in following him is based off of a transformational relationship. You could write this down. A loving transformational relationship will inspire you to change because you will begin to see something beyond yourself. You will begin to see beyond yourself. When we get too isolated in our echo chambers and our groups, all we worry about is self and will I still fit into this group? But when we start to follow in Jesus, we look beyond ourselves and it's a transformational relationship. The story of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the way of Jesus will begin to change who we are as we know him and we become wrapped up within the story that he is telling in and through our lives a transformational relationship. You know this, if you've been in a a strong friendship, a marriage, a great relationship of some sort, when you are connected to another person in a way that is loving and kind, you begin to change because you are seeing things beyond yourself. And And we all know that when the person that we love says, just do this, it might be like a temporary change, 
But what, what lasts for long-term change is a following, a loving, transformational relationship of knowing Jesus and seeing him as the one who has rescued us. And because that story is so beautiful and full of grace and truth and love, that begins to transform us so we see beyond ourselves. Secondly today, Jesus plus fill in the blank. Taking notes, Jesus plus fill in the blank is not the gospel. Jesus plus something. Jesus plus do this and then you'll really love Jesus. Do this and then you'll actually be saved. And all, and all different churches have done this before. People love to blame certain churches for this. Every church has been guilty. There have probably been times when I've communicated in such a way that it sounds like, Scott, are you at? Like we, we've all fallen short in this before. But it is Jesus, it is fully Jesus who has fully rescued us. And that is at the essence and the heart of the gospel message. Now, some of us might be saying, okay, what, what exactly is the gospel? Good news, I'm preparing a series on that where we're going to talk about what the gospel is. But if you want a, a simple definition of the gospel, I would highly recommend going to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul clearly describes the gospel in chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. The gospel is the declaration that Christ has died, Christ was buried, Christ was raised again as according to the scriptures. That's the gospel message that Christ was died, Christ was buried, Christ was resurrected. And in that, we then see in the outworking of 1 Corinthians 15, the victory that we have in the resurrection, the new life and the promise we have, that's the essence of the gospel, that it's all Jesus in his death and burial and resurrection. But Jesus plus something else, that's not the gospel. Yes, we believe that Christ changes our lives, but it's from a transformational relationship, not a do this so that you can be more in or so that you can be more saved. It's, it's do this because he has rescued us and we can't help but to change because of knowing him. And Paul's very clear on this in Galatians 1, verses six through nine. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. This is pretty harsh words right here. Which is really not another some people are saying, oh, this is a different gospel. He's like, it's really not another gospel. It's just, it's just bad news, actually. He says, Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is, proceed, is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Paul's saying, if it's a Jesus plus something, that's not the gospel. And he's addressing these missionaries that were going around and saying, hey, you still gonna, you know, submit to these practices. You still gonna do this. He's like, no, 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 no. That's not the freeing, liberating gospel message. As I, who I referenced earlier, Dr. Mark Baker breaks this text down for us. You'll see his quote up on the screen where he says, where he uses this to describe Galatians 1. He says, the teaching of the other missionaries who Paul was addressing in Galatia included an emphasis on the necessity of circumcision and following at least some aspects of the law of Moses and other Jewish practices and celebrations that distinguished Jews from Gentiles. They, they proclaimed the great... I'm going to turn around for this. My eyes aren't working as well as they used to. They proclaimed the graciousness of God in providing salvation through Jesus Christ. But unlike Paul, they viewed grace as limited to those who are worthy recipients. Israel, the chosen people of God, are those who became worthy through living like Jews. So they were preaching a salvation that says, you have to do all of this extra stuff and still keep the law of Moses. And Paul's saying, no, that's not even the gospel at all. The gospel is Jesus 
His death, his burial, his resurrection. That's the message of the gospel, the story of the gospel. And when we try to add things to it, that actually takes away from freedom. That actually weighs us down. The message of Jesus, the message of the gospel is simply this, is that the message of Jesus is that all in Christ have been rescued. If you are in Christ, you have been rescued. I can't say that enough. That's the emphasis of today. The message of the gospel is that we have been rescued in Christ Jesus. And when we get in a bounded group, it starts to be, I don't know if I can really be honest right now because I want to live up to these people's expectations and I hope that I can still be here. And it even starts to happen in fuzzy groups as well because there's this shared thing that keeps us all together. And if I were to speak out against that in this group, are they going to still let me be in the group anymore because we have this shared misery? And if I come in and say, hey guys, we're kind of being miserable right now. Are they still going to let me be there for calling them out? Or are they going to call me a legalist and say, go back to the bounded group because you're just being a legalist again. Both groups start to do this. And we forget that it's all about Christ. It's not about, and so if, if we're not living for the approval of others, then we should be willing to listen to and receive what others are speaking and saying into our lives. That's why Paul ends this little section in Galatians 1 with this phrase. He says, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Both the bounded and fuzzy models can get us into just wanting to live for the approval of people. But the way of Jesus says, I'm in this to serve Christ above all else. It is about him and what he says and what he is leading us into. And yes, he leads us away from sin. And yes, he leads us to new life. And yes, we experience that in him. But it must be a balance of grace and truth, discipleship working together as we grow with one another with truth of saying, hey, I need to say this to you, but also I'm going to say it in grace because just as much as you need grace right now, I also need some grace right now. It's grace and truth working together as we seek to serve Christ together as one in Christ. So our goal for this series is this, Galatians 4.19, as we continue to go over this the next four weeks. My children of whom I am in labor until Christ is formed in you. I want to see Christ starting to be formed in each and every one of us. See Christ, see a church becoming more and more like Jesus. A church that is becoming more and more like him and reflecting the fruit of the spirit as Paul breaks down in Galatians 5. A church that looks more and more like Christ in the conversations we have, in the way we serve, in the way we love, and in the way that we come together to say, hey, I see you becoming more like Jesus. Or, hey, I saw this happening. Is everything okay? Hey, I saw you doing this. I want to make sure that you're moving towards the cross. And we learn to have these conversations in grace and understanding, but with the reality that we are all together moving towards the cross of Christ. One of the things I'm going to do in this series is because I really want this to be able to spawn and, and push on some conversations in your life, whether it's in your story group or within a group that you're in or in your personal life. I'm going to leave every message with some application questions for you to write down and to go over. If you don't have notes, you can come back and find this message on our YouTube channel later. But I want you to be able to go through these questions with, another, with a group of people and talk through these together. The first question is this. Have you, have you believed the lie that God's love is conditional? And when we get caught up in a bounded group, sometimes we think that God's love is conditional based off of certain actions or whatever. If I don't do this, he may not really love me. Have you ever believed the lie that God's love is conditional? Talk about that with some people. Have that conversation. 
and if his love is unconditional, what does it look like to be changed and transformed by an unconditional love and not just cut it caught up in the fuzzy, oh, we're just going to wait around and go wherever we go? Second question. What are ways you have seen line-drawing tendencies in your life, bounded tendencies in your life? Oh, Christ's love is not for that person, but it's for me. And, you know, they, I don't know if they really love you. What are some ways you've seen some line-drawing tendencies in your life? What are ways that they've been existing in my life? What are ways that maybe you've even seen them in your church at times? What are ways we've seen them amongst ourselves? How can we have a true discipleship that is changed by Christ and who he has called us to be without drawing harsh lines of in and out, but understanding that there is still a way of Jesus? Yeah, that you can feel this little bit of a tension here. There's a little bit of a, how do we do this? And this is the beauty of knowing other people and working out our faith together and having Christ formed in us together. We can have these difficult conversations, but still say one in Christ and move forward together. If you find yourself unable to be in community with another person after having a difficult conversation, then you can know that there's probably some bounded stuff working in there. But if you can still be in community and still be connected, you can begin to see and understand, oh wait, we're one in Christ. We're moving forward together. What are some ways you've seen that happen before? Next question is this. Are there ways you have been fuzzy in walking with Jesus? Are there things that Jesus has clearly spoken to you about by his Holy Spirit or by other believers speaking into your life? And you're like, ah, yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. It'll work out. Are there ways in which you've been fuzzy? These are questions for me too. So I don't, I don't even be like, the pastor's really throwing this. No, no, these are for all of us. Are there ways we've been, we've been fuzzy in walking with Jesus? Oh, he'll, we'll, we'll worry about that later. This can be so dangerous because what if, what if you're engaging in something destructive and God has told you it is, but you keep going down that path and God is calling you back this morning in his love and his grace to restore you, to be on the direction that he's called you to? Or what if you know somebody right now and you know for a fact that they're heading in a direction that is destructive? And you can say, how do I approach this? Not with a bounded, but with a love and a grace of I am here for you no matter what. Let's move in this direction together. And the last question this morning is this. Do you sense a need to more frequently be reminded of God's gracious anti-religious gospel? Do you find yourself being weighed down? Oh, I thought I was supposed to be set free by following Jesus, but it just, I don't know if I feel that way right now. Do you find yourself needing to be reminded of this? And if you do, in your group with your discussion, I would ask that after you ask this question together, spend time praying for one another. Encourage one another, lift one another up, and grow together. Our desire is to be a church that above all else, we are all about Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, and following him and being formed into Christ, into the image of Christ with all we can do. And we can do that together as we are connected as his church. So we're gonna sing one last song together this morning. And in this song, we're gonna declare and, and sing and praises about how all we want is to be with Christ because he is the one we are following. I want to invite you to stand with us as we continue to worship this morning and declare who Jesus is.